Welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through M&A projects where we've been involved in the course of our careers, unpacking the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose in doing this is to leave you, the listener, with valuable lessons and experiences that you can use in your own M&A projects. So without wasting any more time, let's get this podcast underway. Hey, Toby, greetings from Melbourne. Yeah, and greetings from Sydney there, Rob. How's it? How, how's Melbourne these days for you? Melbourne? I don't know, actually. I'm about to go out and uh, see what's happening out there, because, of course, we've just had the election. Not only has our local MP been replaced, but, of course, he was the federal treasurer, Josh ah. Frydenberg. Oh, indeed. And he's, he's been booted out in favour of one of the independents. So there's a, there's a whole new world out there. Interesting enough, we got an independent here, Zali Stegel. And yep. um, she's um, been re-elected again to represent our district. So it's interesting in terms of Australian politics that the independents are on the rise. And I think they get fed up with the two-party system. So we, we are seeing more independents. And, uh, we definitely are. That's we, uh, we, certainly one trend. And uh, we, we shouldn't try and turn this into a political podcast. Uh, I know. And I'm strictly, I quickly on yep. M&A type topics, which, is, which yep. is what we're here to talk about. Rob. Moving right along. Moving along. <laughs> We talked last last time about Elon Musk and the deal he's doing with Twitter. And we were thinking about visiting it this week, but quite honestly, there's still some stuff to play out there. Mm. And I think maybe another couple of weeks and there'll be more to say about that deal and what's happening. So we should revisit it. Yep. But I had a conversation with one of my international colleagues just a few days ago, and the topic du jour was on emotions and feelings in M&A. And he was talking particularly about a project where because of the dynamics of the previous leadership team, the deal had gone through and there was a lot of animosity starting to show. There was a lot of jealousy coming out. There was a a favoured few. And he said it was actually starting to materialise quite Visually, Hmm. in the business, you could see that people were very annoyed, very upset. And equally, there was a few people walking around, pumping their chest, going, fantastic, look at that. And we started talking about how disruptive those emotions can be. Hmm. And we got on to talking about the fact that not only are they disruptive, but generally speaking, we don't actually give those emotional topics prior attention in a deal. We go in and talk about this big picture thing called culture, but this is different. If, if you've got a sales manager, for example, mm. who believes that this deal has done him disjustice and disservice and that his, his importance or his career advancement opportunities in the business have just been stifled overnight, well, you're going to have some negative reactions there that are not going to help you if you're looking to drive greater revenue opportunities or cross-sell from the sales teams. And it made me sit back and think about it. I don't know about you, but Mm. my experience in in M&A is you get engaged, you've got your models, you've got your methods that you use for bringing the two companies together. Mm. And yes, you will get individuals that come to the attention because they suddenly start behaving in an extreme, yeah, and they make it 
absolutely clear to everyone within 100 miles that they're pissed off or unhappy. Sure. And that's when you then sort of react and go, oh, right, hang on a minute, we need to we need to deal with this situation. And you put a short circuit in there and you try and deal with it and try and dampen it down. Hmm. But I don't think we do enough, in my opinion, early on in the deal to yeah. understand those things. I think we play tacit attention to them, but we don't actually act in truth until these things blow up in your face. And what I'm trying to say is that maybe we should. We do financial due diligence right down to the bees nuts level. Mm. We do legal due diligence the same way. We put the same amount of attention onto operational aspects of the business, but maybe there's a better role towards recognizing emotions in the business and i think what i'm trying to say is put things in place preempt it that feeds then into the comms plan that you've got and the way that you communicate with people but maybe we need to do more in preempting some of those emotional discharges that you get mm. rather than just waiting till they blow up in your face i mean what's mm. your thoughts well we're talking here, Rob, more broadly about emotions, the way emotions play out in M&A. And as I'm looking for a survey, because I've done some analysis on this work in the past, but a lot of deals actually fall over because it's not to do with the employees, but the executives themselves find themselves fighting yeah. and infighting. And deals can easily be derailed through the emotive aspects of the deal and it presents the dynamics and the executives themselves not agreeing strategically on where a company might be going. So in other words, it, it, it takes a deal to unearth some of the internal rifts that might be in an organization. And indeed, when you bring on another organization, it actually makes it worse. So the aspect of it and, and the, the fighting that may occur can have a material and detrimental impact on the success of an M&A deal. And I was actually looking for a survey, and I'll, hopefully I'll find it as we go move along, to actually give you some real hard statistics on this one. But natural fact, it actually has a sizable impact on deal success. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm going to use an example from my own past. Again, an M&A deal, two leadership teams coming together, mm. and the new group that was being created needed a CFO. Mm. If I remember, just dragging my memory back, yeah, the CFO who had been there took the opportunity when the deal went through. Okay, so there now needed to be a new CFO. And the guy who was in the acquiring company automatically felt that that was his job by right. Yep. And what actually happened was that the combined leadership team, the combined board, appointed the guy in the acquired company yep. as the group CFO. And the guy on the other side of the fence was left in place as like a divisional finance executive mm. reporting to the CFO. And boy, did he feel, he felt that he'd been shat on from a great height. <laughs> okay. Now, it was it, at one level, he was wrong in assuming that just because he was the CFO of the acquiring company, that he had some sort of benefit over anybody else and the, the job would be his. But it, it started to materialize that yeah. you know, he was envious, he was angry, probably on hindsight, the kinder thing to have done. Yeah. 
would have been to have found a nice big fat package and let him go. But they didn't. They left him in place as a sort of a, a divisional CFO, and he felt that everybody was laughing at him. And it and it caused some absolute horrible problems in the business. Now, that's one example. And quite honestly, to use an Australian phrase, if I look back at that retrospectively, Blind Freddy should have seen that coming. It, it was bleedingly obvious to anybody that this was not going to end in a satisfactory outcome. Now, on the opposite side of this, I remember a deal with Dunlop, and this was Dunlop, the big company, buying up a relatively smaller business. In that business, the mindset of everybody in the business was like, yay, we're now, we're now part of the big league. And there's much bigger opportunity and there was a euphoria there was an excitement and that just made everything so easy yeah 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 you come back to this argument that emotion plays such a well it's emotive plays such a strong role and the, the emotions we're talking about such as anger resentment frustration mm. they're strong emotions and they manifest themselves strongly but i'm still not convinced that we do enough early enough to preempt some of those or have mechanisms in place to be able to deal with them quickly. Well, and, I, and I, I, I'm just going to come back to, yeah. I, I probably sound like an old record with this, but I, Sir Michael Edwards, the chairman of Dunlop at the time in my head, yeah. and the phrase he often used was, when you've got scenarios like that, you need to make a decision Act swiftly, but act fairly. Sure. And taking what I just talked about, some of that might mean drawing a line and saying to that other CFO, well, there's no room for two people. This is the decision the board has made. But you would make sure that the package that that second guy left with, and in some ways you would make it known to everybody else that he's been an extremely valuable member of the management team and build that into your comms plan. And hopefully that individual would leave with his, with respect and dignity and with a, a good, strong payment behind him that, that makes him feel that he's at least been treated fairly. But we don't, we don't tend to, to do that too much. And, and for me, is really where we start to fall down. I, I think we should be able to go into an M&A, preempting some of those things and having mechanisms that we can put in place or models that are available to executives to limit people's emotive outbursts. And we should also have that mantra I've just talked about, which is when it does arise act on it quickly, be fair about it, and communicate well. Sure. I mean, am I talking nonsense? Does it make sense? I think when we talk about this, ultimately coming to a point of making this an objective exercise and objectifying it. So you try yeah. and take the feeling and the more subjective aspects out of it and you drive the exercise as a, as a process that you follow. And so it removes the individual and the individual feelings as much as you can so that it can run like a process. And I think that 
if you do that, I think you are generally going to be more successful through the deal as you go through if you take that approach. So in other words, you, you tend to manage it, divorcing it away from the individuals themselves. So it is a process which has a clear set of steps and a clear rationale approach to it. And therefore, you take that personality and those feelings that you might have out of the equation. And that's generally speaking how you should run M&A as opposed to something that's more seat of the pants and more personality driven. Otherwise, you're just, you're inviting problems. Yeah. And I was actually having a look now at why deals actually failed. And I got, I got the statistics. Uh, Merger Market did an analysis, and this is admittedly 10 years old now, but why was the primary cause of failed mergers? And according to Merger Market, it was actually due to conflict between the leadership teams themselves. Yeah. 20% was given. So it just goes to show that it's a problem to do with personalities and the way people feel and the way they behave actually can be a major contributor to failed deals. And I've got another one. Aon Hewitt did a similar survey, and they said that management infighting and leadership infighting, that is a proxy for feelings and behaviors, mm. contributed as much as 25% towards a, a deal failure. So, again, I think it just goes to show that you've got to try and make sure that the process you follow is an objective process and that take the feelings out. Now, of course, you've got to recognize feelings and particularly I'm talking about leadership team here, but of course, when it comes to the employees, and I think you and I know that there's clearly a grieving cycle people go through when any kind of change occurs. It's a very familiar, whether you've just received a um, a cancer diagnosis or anything major trauma in one's individual life, you do go through a process of denial, anger, and then finally coming through to acceptance. And I think in M&A, you're going through a similar process. And insofar as that we ourselves as leaders in M&A deals, Rob, we have to coach and facilitate through that process, that inevitable grieving process that people can go through. Well, what I like about what you just said was, and I think you hit it on the head, which is about making it part of the process. Yeah. You know, so, and uh, what was going through my head when you we were talking about it is just at the, at the leadership level, you will often get animosities that that start to build between the, the, the mm. two respective leadership teams and it plays mm. out in all sorts mm. of different ways. Mm. And of course, those leadership people have got uh, a lot of reach and impact into the rest of the organization. And that's an obvious one, but it applies <coughs> across the board. Again, a silly example from my past, but I remember a company where they changed receptionist, corporate receptionist, and the incoming receptionist felt she'd been demoted from the job that she had. And that translated into the way that she answered the phone. And Literally overnight, the perception of that business took a tumble because of the way that receptionist dealt with and mm. handled people calling into the business. And so uh, I'm trying to sort of just wrap it up in my own head. I think what we just talked about is, yes, emotions can play quite a significant part in any M&A deal. Negative emotions particularly can be 
very dangerous. And in fact, as you've pointed out, the surveys that show it could uh, have an effect of in 25% of deal failures, that can yep. be one of the underlying causes yep. of that failure. So I actually think that what we need to do more of, I'm not saying we don't do it at all, mm. but I think what we need to do more of is preempt that and in some way be able to run a two-pronged approach. And I'm doing this by the seat of my pants, Toby, but yeah. that two-pronged approach needs to be, first of all, we need to take all of those people in some form of managerial position, hmm. whether that's the sales manager, the chief finance officer, or whoever it may be. And we need to give them mechanisms to do at least two things. One, recognize when those emotional issues are starting to materialize, yep. to identify the emotion that's being displayed, hmm. and three, be able to follow Sir Michael Edwards' mantra of hmm. act swiftly, act fairly. That's, that's one side of it. On the other side of it, I think that's also a responsibility in your communication strategy, right? Hmm. You need to communicate to people in the business that you are aware that some people will be feeling upset, angry, whatever. And you need to be able to provide avenues for those people to go down to be able to deal with those emotions. And that, that for me, comes back to your point. You make it a process. You give the management teams across both businesses, across all levels, training or coaching, whatever you want to call it, mm. to, to be able to identify those emotions where they're arising, and you give them mechanisms for dealing with it. Yeah, sure. And, and if you can make that an integral part of the, the M&A process, then you're going to be in a much, much better play. I think, uh, Rob, what you're explaining is something what's generally referred to as change management. Well, it is, but now, I think what I'm, I'm going to use the, the, the new age terminology, because in the past, and I'm showing my age now, M&A projects I've been on, that sort of issue has been relegated to HR. Oh, yeah, HR do that. Not necessarily, actual fact. I would, I, I'd, I, in the past, I'd agree, certainly. I would say that human resources, the human resources are probably the worst when it comes to doing because human resource oh, departments are. these days are more to do with the administrative aspects, whether it's to do with payroll, leave, policy, that sort of thing. But when True. it comes to the, the emotional side, particularly when it comes to change, it's not part of their re remit or skill set in, in human resources. Look, I think they think they'd like to be. They like to be, but it's in but, practice it's not. Yeah, that's what I mean. So yeah. what we're talking about in new age terms, if you like, is emotional intelligence, EQ. Well, yeah. I mean, I think emotional intelligence is, is an inherent part of that. If you're going to be an effective change manager, you do need to come, come along with a high degree of emotional intelligence in order yep. to be able to pick up on those cues because I think that's necessary because those cues are subtle ones. And so I think some of us are good at managing change and some of us are not. And I think it ultimately depends on whether you yourself have that degree of emotional intelligence. Well, it's just reminding me of something else that I've experienced across my career. Hmm. And that is sometimes when you've got a challenge, uh, a result of negative feelings or emotional response to something or whatever, we tend to leave it 
within the confine of where it materializes. Let me be clearer on this. Some time back, one of my team in the business, and she was clearly displaying some emotional reactions to something. Now, it, it turned out to be a lot deeper than we thought it would be, and she got some very harrowing personal issues going on in her life. And unfortunately, she turned to self-medicating or drugs, if you like, as a way of dealing with it. And it was starting to show in the workplace. But at the time, I went to my boss, who was a senior executive at the time, to flag it. And his response was, oh, yeah, great, Rob. Good. Well, well done. I'm pleased you spotted that. Yeah, I'll leave it with you. Yeah, you deal with it. There was no... There was no other avenues for me to really follow or yeah. expertise that I could tap into at that time. Now, I'm at more than 15 years now. Sure. But there was no expertise channel that I could tap into that could help me with that. It was down to me. And we sometimes, I think, guilty of doing exactly that. And that is leaving those emotional challenges to the manager of that department, that particular group whatever now i'm not saying we should take it away from them we shouldn't they, they're still the initial foghorn if you like of the fact yeah. that there's yeah. an issue there but i but i think particularly in MA, those managers need to understand that there's various avenues people and skill sets available to to help them with that issue sure but i mean i think rob really it ultimately comes back down to the same thing that change management and and the associated ability to emotionally pick up on these cues is a major part of any kind of M&A exercise. Yep. And so if you are dealing with something which is going to involve a lot of people in many ways, you do need to have change management as a discrete function that that is overseeing that and can steer that change using multiple methods that are available so that you can push the integration or the merger to a successful end. And to ignore it is to ignore it at your... And that's the, that's the major thing. So it is absolutely key to always have change management. But, it, but in a sense, I think that's, that's well-known and well-understood, Rob, I think. Yeah, look, I, I would agree with you. I think what I'm doing is having a good old rant because my observation over quite a bit of time has been that, yes, I agree with you. Yes, the, uh, it falls under the auspice of uh, change management. I've seen too many change management activities simply present themselves as a, an operational exercise well i think to be honest that there's, there's some people who do it and it's done badly and i think probably that's what you're alluding to that really and truly that look this is a a challenging part and i think people who are good at it get re remunerated well who are good operators but it's not the sort yeah. of thing that any person can pick up because the, you do need to have the skills you do need to have the emotional intelligence handle it you need to be that kind of individual who can um, steer change effectively and you need to have those leadership qualities and it's critical that as a discrete function 
which floats right across all businesses or business units and exists there at a high level, potentially with direct reporting to the chief executive officer, because it is that important. But I think in practice, it often, and maybe this is what you've seen on the transactions you've worked on, uh, Rob, I've certainly seen it, it often gets relegated down to something quite low level yeah. and more operational. Yeah. And that's a fundamental <sighs> mistake. I've seen it done too often, to be honest. And I, if I ever get involved in a deal, I always beat the drum to ensure that change management is always given the profile that it needs, I, given bingo. whatever the deal might be. <clears throat> bingo. That's it. Okay. So, in summary, we've concluded that Emotional aspects are a very important part of M&A. We've talked about how detrimental they can be if they're not managed early and managed properly. Mm. Uh, we've talked about the fact that it's a, a part of any change management function, but we've accepted that in some projects, it's relegated too low in the importance to really have an impact to what you should be doing is ensuring that before the project gets underway, that whoever is managing change management is mm. either exceptionally skilled with those emotional qualities, yeah. or if they're not, if they're someone that's exceptionally good at the logistical part of change yeah. management, complement them with someone that does have those, those emotional intelligence skills. Because it just brings me back to to that one saying that you've got to you've got to identify it, you've wow. got to be able to qualify it, you've got to have mechanisms to deal with it, and at the end of the day, same adage apply. Make a decision, act quickly, act with fairness. I'll calm down now. I'll go and take my medication. <laughs> it's actually, to be honest, Rob, it's 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 a fairly um, complex area. And, I, and it's been discussed much, that that part, and it never gets the um, focus it, it should get. You know what? You, you, you've reminded me of something which, yeah. again, comes back to what we're just talking about. I've yeah. seen emotional intelligence managed by who I would say are pure academics, and they come at it from an academic point of view of what the textbook says you've oh, got yeah, to yeah. do. Those people themselves can be as dangerous with that as not doing anything. And it comes down to experience. Oh, yeah. Look, I, I think there's a lot down to when it comes to emotional intelligence. I mean, it's having an awareness of yourself. I mean, and it's like having empathy. If you don't have empathy, yes. well, you're not going to be very good at it. And you've got to be socially skilled and socially adept in working with people. And if you've got that ability to, to be a good listener and you've got those deep social skills and you've got that sort of strong self-awareness about you, then you're, you're going a long way to being what might be considered to be emotionally intelligent. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Um, okay, well... I think that's been a great conversation because it's got something off my chest. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess the, the shout-out from my point of view is it's probably a topic we need all need to pay more attention to. And to your point, you need people that have got that depth of expertise and emotional ability to connect mm, sure. to be able to deal with it. And, and, by the way, that doesn't mean being soft and cuddly and, you know, nice. To no, a it's uh, by no means... In many cases, it's about sitting down with people and delivering bad news. 
It is, yeah. But, but you can still do it with fair. I think you got to be frank, you know, and honest yep. with people. And I think that's the, that's the best way. It's like anything in, in life, I think, Rob. It's like if you're talking to a doctor, would, do you want your doctor to be straight up and honest with you about you? If you've got to see, you do. It's better to come up and come up and go be straight, be straight, be, be clear on the facts. And I think that's the way we should be communicating in organisations as well. Be straight, be frank. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and talk about facts. And, and I've got to say, I'm going to finish this off with a personal experience of the late, great Les Heyman, a senior executive that I got enormous respect for and mm. uh, mentored me through my career. But he was my boss for a while in, mm. in SAP. And Les had a bit of a sense of humour, if you like. Yeah. Anyway, I, had, I was talking about emotional intelligence. It was my annual review. Yeah. And I went into Les's office to sit down for my review. And his opening remarks were, he said, now, Mr. Heaton, where do you want to be in two years' time? Because it isn't here. What he, what he went on to say was, because anyone in my leadership team that's still here after three or four years means that I haven't done my job properly. And, and yeah, uh, everybody yeah, in good. my leadership team should be moving upwards to yeah. better opportunities and growing in their career. But it was just his opening remarks. Now, Mr. Heaton, where do you want to be in two years from now? Because it is. That's, that's pretty good. That's nah, good. That was a great executive and someone I've got an enormous amount of respect for. He sadly passed away, but uh, his lessons still resonate today with me and many, many other people that I know he's mentored and coached throughout their careers. So uh, nice point to end on and to remember, Les. And uh, we shall be back next week. I've had a rant, which is great. Uh, we've, <laughs> we've, sort of, we've sort of given that a bashing. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time, possibly to talk more about Elon Musk. We shall see how the deal goes. Maybe, maybe yeah. have to give a bit more time. But uh, let, let, let's see how we go, Rob. It's poddling along in the background there. You keep seeing little bits of press yeah. releases and yeah. stuff about what he's doing. There's, there's a long-term plan. We said that last time, we're sure. Let's see what's happened over the next couple of weeks, and we'll talk about it more possibly in two weeks' time. Will do. That'd be good. Pleasure, Toby, as always. It's been great. We'll be back in two weeks, and it's my duty to just say bye for now. And goodbye for me as well. <laughs>